Good evening. Uh, tonight we are reading from Colossians 2, uh, beginning at verse 6. So then, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, continue to live in him, rooted and built up in him, strengthened in the faith, as you were taught and overflowing with thankfulness. See to it that no one that no one takes you captive through hollow and deceptive philosophy, which depends on human tradition and the basic principles of this world, rather than on Christ. For in Christ all the fullness of the deity lives in bodily form, and you have been given fullness in Christ, who is the head over every power and authority. In him you were also circumcised in the putting off of the sinful nature, not with the circumcision done by the hands of men, but with the circumcision done by Christ. Having been buried with him in baptism and raised with him through your faith in the power of God who raised him from the dead. When you were dead in your sins and in the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave all of our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us, that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. After having disarmed the powers and authorities, He made a public spectacle of them, triumphing over them by the cross. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink, or with regard to a religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Do not let anyone who delights in false humility and the worship of angels disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what he has seen, and his unspiritual mind puffs him up with idle notions. He has lost connection with the head, from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why, as though you still belong to it, do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch... These are all destined to perish with use, because they are based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Sorry, I'll just move this back. Or maybe not. I'm just going to stand up here tonight to see if it works. To see if kind of we can see and there's a screen and there's a drum where I'd normally stand, so I thought it'd be easier. Um, tonight we're going to do something a little different afterwards. We're going to have time for questions. Um, we want to be a church that is really thinking through what God's Word is saying. Uh, and so we want to offer a time when people have questions, if there are kind of things for people to think through, um, things you want to ask me, things from the talk that have kind of come up. Um, so on the back of your outline at the bottom uh, is a phone number. That phone number is my phone number. Um, you can just text me your questions. Someone up the back has it. It won't come to me right here and I'll be like distracted as we go through. But if there's something I say, that something that's brought up, we'd love for you to kind of text us a question. 
And then after the, after the talk, we'll pray, and then through the magic of technology, your question may appear on this screen. Um, that's what I'm praying happens. Uh, so we'll, we'll see how we go tonight at, at, at doing that. But why don't we pray, as we've heard Campbell read God's Word, uh, that the Spirit would convict us of what God is saying to us here in this next section of Colossians. Let's pray together. Father God, we ask that as we've just heard your Word read, that you would show us the amazingness of what is going on in this passage, that we might get a, a glimpse, a grasp of how completely Jesus satisfies. And that out of this, Lord, you might help us to walk a life that brings you glory. We pray that as we open this part of your word, your spirit would convict us and show us how amazing Jesus is. We pray this in his name. Amen. Have you ever had a time that you've been extraordinarily thirsty. You know, one of those times where your mouth is just dry. It feels like someone's puffed powder in there. It's like... Where you, where you just... You're so distracted. You can't think about anything else. You, you just want to drink. You just want to have something that'll kind of wet the back of your throat. And imagine at that moment, someone walks up to you and offers you this. A glass of black goodness, right? It's pitched all throughout the world as the real thing. It's meant to add life. In fact, if I go to the supermarket, it's so built for me, it even has my name on it, (laughs) right? That stuff is actually black death. Sorry if you love Coke. Um, I don't know if you know, but while it's meant to do all these good things, it's actually really, really, really bad for you. Coke seems so much better than water. It's black. It's got that just kind of effervescent bubble to it. It says, drink me, and I'll make your life better. I'll give you energy for at least the next 25 minutes before you crash and need more. Like, it's wonderful. Please, drink me. Yet in two liters of that stuff, there's 20 tablespoons of sugar. 20, not teaspoons, tablespoons of sugar. The acid that is in that drink actually dissolves your teeth. There are some studies that claim that the effect uh, on Coke on your teeth is indistinguishable from the effects of a regular metamphetamines user. Really? Look, here's a comparison I prepared earlier. Which one is the Coke user? See, now this study, it's actually the top one. And the bottom one is a regular meth user. Coke is not brilliant. Uh, Some people want to challenge the study and say there are other variables. I think it's worth looking at in detail. But it was great for this illustration, right? It worked well. Um, Coke is not brilliant. Um, the, The kind of most solid thing I could find doctors conclusively saying is, don't leave it in your mouth for over 24 hours because you won't have any teeth. Um, Coke is meant to offer life to quench thirst, but it's hollow, it's deceptive. I had a sip before, I I had it there, I couldn't resist, but I still feel thirsty. Now water, water does something, right? Ever been in that situation where where you are thirsty and you drink water and it just quenches your thirst? It may not look good, it may not have a body of blackness and a sparkle that makes you go, yes. It may not have your name written on it, but it truly quenches your thirst. Well, what's this got to do with anything? 
great question. I just thought I'd tell you. No, no, no. Um, I think the way we view life is very often similar to the way we quench our thirst. We want to feel satisfied. We want to experience life and life to the full. And when it comes to Jesus, well, he's kind of old and not here anymore. And even for Christians, sometimes we want something more. We want something deeper, something more titillating, something more spiritual, more exciting, some kind of new thing or kind of deeper thing. I get Jesus, but I just want more. Well, Colossians was written with us in mind to warn us of our hell-bent tendency to seek satisfaction in things that only lead to death. If it's your first time uh, with us this week, we want to say welcome. Um, This passage is kind of the key to the book of Colossians, so you, you picked a good week. And I think it's actually key to all of Christianity. And it begins with two words. So if you've got your Bible there, keep it open. Chapter 2, verse 6, so then. Now, understanding the Bible is really just comprehension. There's nothing kind of like mystical about the words on the page or about some extra knowledge that you need. My job as a preacher is really to help you understand what the Bible's saying and then get out of the way. I want to point to what, what God has said to us, to me and to you, and then say, well, how do we do this? So Paul begins with this word, so then. So then is, is what a link word. It's saying, in light of everything that's been said so far, and here's Paul's point. What's been said so far? <laughs> Have you seen who Jesus is? 1 verse 15, Paul said he's the image of the invisible God. For everything was created by him and for him and through him, whether visible or invisible, rulers, authorities, thrones, All things have been created for him. And then Paul has shown us what Jesus has done. That his death, in verse 20, was the thing that makes it possible to be back in relationship with God after we were alienated from him. And then Paul kind of shows you what what he's doing. What's his job? What's he on about? He says, I'm all about Jesus. Proclaiming him. I've told you who he is. And what he's done, now I'll tell you what I'm about. I'm about him, telling you who he is and what he's done. Like, Paul is unashamedly Jesus-centered in everything he does. So that I might present everyone, he says, perfect in Christ. For in Jesus are hidden all the treasures of wisdom and knowledge. If you've been following with us through the book of Colossians so far, you'll get that it's all about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. And so Paul says... Just as, um, so, so Paul starts this section and he says, Just as Christ Jesus is Lord, so continue in Him. Sorry, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue in Him. This is like key. If you've got a pen and you're a Bible underliner, underline this, this verse, verse, chapter 2, verse 6. If you're not a Bible underliner or the person next to you isn't, maybe just reach across and underline it in their Bible. See how that goes for you. But this is like the key of this whole book and I think, again, the Christianity. And what Paul says is extraordinarily simple, but I tell you, it answers the satisfaction of life. He says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, in the same way you started the Christian life, Colossians, go on living the Christian life. So continue in Him. 
The way you began the Christian life is how you continue the Christian life. It's simple, but it's profound. So firstly, how did the Colossians begin the Christian life? How does one begin the Christian life? Paul's just shown us the amazingness of Jesus. And he says in chapter 1, verse 21, it's on the screen. Once you were alienated and hostile in your minds because of your evil actions, but now he's reconciled you by his physical body through his death to present you holy, faultless, blameless before him, if you indeed remain grounded and steadfast in the faith and are not shifted away from the hope of the gospel that you've heard. The Colossian Christians were once alienated from God. They'd turn their backs on Him. They were deserving His anger, His wrath, His judgment for saying, I don't want you in my life. But by trusting in Jesus, by putting their life in His hands, by trusting that what Jesus did on the cross reconciled them to God, they now have relationship with Him. The only way to be saved is by trusting in Jesus. A few years ago, I was uh, on Canterbury University campus in Christchurch, um, and I got chatting to a guy there. Now, this guy, um, well, we had a good conversation, but I ended up asking him, as you do, what's your view on Jesus? Who do you think Jesus is? Um, He didn't really have much of an answer. He said, I don't really have a view on Jesus. He wasn't really that interested. But then I asked him this next question. I said, not that I want this to happen, but just, just say you were to die tonight. Are you sure you'd go to heaven? And his face just changed. It's like he'd he'd seen a ghost or something. He he looked pale. And he said, you're not going to believe this. Two nights ago, I was watching the movie Constantine. I don't know if many of you have seen it. Bit crazy, bit out there. Kind of some spiritual stuff in there. And he said, we kind of joked about it. We were talking about the afterlife and had a few beers and we moved on. But then last night, my mate picked me up to go to soccer training and on the way he had to stop off and grab soccer boots from his sister's place. And normally whenever we do this every week, we kind of stop on one side of the park outside my sister's pla- his sister's place. Um, but f- for some reason this week, he parked around the corner. He says, I don't know why he did it. He ran inside. He said there was a big gust of wind and a tree, this, a huge tree fell where the car normally would have been parked. He's like, I would have been dead. I sat there and saw this tree fall smash and it would have, would have crushed me totally. He says, ever since then, my mate and I didn't go to soccer practice. We just sat there talking about what happens when we die. It's funny how God works in people's lives and prepares things that you'd never know about. That's why we want to keep on asking people things about Jesus, things that matter, things of the truth, because God is always working in the hearts and minds of people. He said to me, I've been thinking about that question a lot. And I don't know. I don't know. Now I want to say, that's a scary position to be in, isn't it? To not know if there is an afterlife. To not know if there is a God who actually will judge the world. To know if we end up as worm food or we end up, well, who knows where. If you're honest with yourself, I think it's got to be one of the most frightening questions to live with. I don't know what happens when I die. And actually, it's going to define the way you live, isn't it? It's going to define what you do and how you use your time and and 
It's an important question. How do you ensure you have life? Well, the claim of the Bible and the claim of Paul is you need to be reconciled with God because God will judge and He'll judge me for my actions and He'll judge you for your actions. And all of us are going to come up the same. Fail. Guilty. Deserving of what we've asked for, which is, I don't want God in my life. I want to run it without Him. And so He'll say, okay, But the great news of Paul, the great news that these Colossian Christians had heard was that there could be certainty. There could be life after death. We heard in chapter 1 that they heard through Epaphras the word of truth, this, this message, this news. You can just imagine him, kind of this guy, Epaphras. He'd been away from them for about 30 years, they reckon, and he's come back to his hometown in Colossae, brimming with excitement. You won't believe what I have heard. You won't believe it. I've heard about this man called Jesus, who lived in Galilee, who died on the Roman cross, but who was perfect, and who claimed to be God, and who was God. And after three days, he rose again and offers us life and certainty and hope. And if you trust in what he has done, you can have life with him too. You can just kind of see him, right? This is the best news ever. The Colossians, they received this as news. They accepted it. They heard the facts. They investigated what he said and they embraced it and they ran. And they had certainty. Now, I reckon this whole kind of situation is pretty staggering. Just imagine for a second, someone comes running in here tonight. They say, guys, guys, you won't believe it. You won't believe it. I've been living in Ecuador and there's this goat farmer in Ecuador who thinks he's the son of God, who thinks he's God. And you know what? He died and then a couple of people, maybe 500, saw him come back to life. Now, I for one would go, okay, security? (laughs) What, What is this guy on? A goat farmer from Ecuador? I don't even know where Ecuador is. I couldn't even point to it on a map. It's a Christian school education for you. It's what you get. So, what would you do? I'd be crazy to follow him. Were these Colossians crazy? Well, no, because the message didn't come in a vacuum. It wasn't like this guy had just bowled on up out of the blue and said, hey, check out Jesus. It came within a history of what God's people had been saying throughout time. The message came with a past. It was promised through prophets There were expectations written down hundreds and hundreds of years before. If you want to have a look, check out Isaiah. Check out the claims of of David in in 1 Samuel, in 2 Samuel 7, that that a king will come who will rule the throne forever. You'll hear the promise that we looked at last week to Abraham from God, that one of your descendants will rule forever and will be a blessing to the nations. Jesus didn't just walk in out of the blue. There was a history an expectation that was known, that was well kind of documented, that people knew about. Now, the 21st century Aucklander, it can sound like Jesus is a shot in the dark. But there's so much background and history that I want to say, if you have not yet put your faith in Jesus, check him out. Have a look at what exists, at the evidence that is there, the claims that you can kind of test. Because I think you'll be amazingly surprised. Because if these claims are true, it's absolutely essential 
that you respond to this truth. Well, that's how you become a Christian. That's how the Colossians became a Christian, was by accepting the news of who Jesus is and what he had done, and that he'd done it for them and embracing it. Now, you might not have heard that before. Sometimes I kind of think us Christians are pretty hopeless at explaining how to become a Christian. That's why we run a course, because we want to do it simply and plainly. We use all sorts of jargon, like inviting Jesus into your heart. Ever use that? <laughs> I have. Like the only person you invite into your heart is a heart surgeon when you need a triple bypass. Like, who else do you invite into my heart? Hey, come into my heart. We'll have a little moment here. You know, it's just a, why do we use that weird terminology? It means to accept Jesus for who he is, the creator and sustainer of the world, the ruler of the world, the one to whom all things owe their very life and breath and existence. That's what it means to become a Christian. I once asked a guy uh, if, if he thought he was a Christian, and he said he didn't know. I don't know. And I'm like, how can you not know? Like, it's kind of like being married. Are you married or not? I'm not sure. Um, it sounds like someone trying to get out of something, if you ask me. Like, are you pregnant or not? Um, it's either yes or no, right? I am married. I am married to Sarah. Uh, we were married nearly 13 years ago. Uh, we're married because we stood in front of a bunch of friends and family and people that we'd call one or the other of those two. And we stood there and we made promises to one another. I, Rowan, take you, Sarah, to be my wife, to have and to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness and in health, to love and to cherish as long as we both shall live. I can remember them. It's exciting. I've used it before, so, you know. But... They're the promises that we made in front of people. We made a promise to one another. That's actually how you enter Christianity. You stand up and you say to Jesus, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'm sorry for turning my back on you, for alienating myself from the creator of all things. Please forgive me and please let me put you as the number one in my life from this moment on. It's a promise If you've actually said that you're convinced that Jesus is the ruler of your life, then you're a Christian. And you want to live with him as the ruler and shaper of your life. You actually want to live that way. So if I said to Sarah, yeah, yeah, yep, uh, to love and all that sort of cool stuff, as long as we both shall live, la-di-da-di-da, but then just went off with someone else after the wedding, you kind of, my words are empty, right? Paul says, just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue in Him. The way to live as a Christian is the way you become a Christian. Some people want to claim that it's, well, I am a Christian just because I'm, I'm born in this country, you know, the country with the, the most Christian national anthem in the world. So of course I'm a Christian. That's kind of what most kind of people are. Or I'm a Christian because I've, I've spoken in tongues. I've had these amazing experiences where God revealed Himself to me and He said, Follow this path, hop on one foot, and everything will be great. Or you hear people say, I'm a Christian because I'm moral. I'm a good person. You know, I'm not perfect, but I haven't killed anyone. The question is, have you accepted Jesus Christ as he is? Lord, ruler, 
sovereign king and sustainer of everything and the one to whom you owe your next breath and everything you say and do. The Colossians had, and Paul's excited about it. So his challenge to them is, just as you have received Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue. As you begin the Christian life, that's the way to continue in it. You began by recognizing the reality of who Jesus is and how that impacts on you. So continue by recognizing the reality of who Jesus is and how that impacts on you. Don't shift off into other things and other ways. Live with Jesus as your Lord. If you think about it, there's really no other way. If he really is who the Bible says he is, he is the Lord. It's just whether I'm going to pretend that he doesn't exist. To him, it's as stupid as saying gravity doesn't exist. Why are you on the ground then? It's like, I know if you haven't yet trusted in Jesus, you won't see that. And I understand that. And I'm not saying that you're kind of logically stupid, right? But I'm saying if this is true, you can imagine. If he really is who the Bible says he is, then won't you make him that way? And if you're going to make him that way, don't move on to something better, if there is that. See, you don't start with Jesus and go somewhere else. When you come to Jesus, you've come to fullness, to satisfaction, to life that will last forever. Do you believe that? Really? Or do you keep looking at lovely shaped bottles full of sugar with your name on them going, maybe that's better? Verse 9, chapter 2, Paul says this. For the entire fullness of God's nature dwells bodily in Christ. And you've been filled by Him, who is the head over every ruler and authority. There's no one greater. There's no one who can do more for you There's no one else who you should submit to. I hope you're getting the point. Some people want to pitch Jesus as the doorway, the way into Christianity, the entry point. He's just not the door. He's the walls. He's the roof. He's the floor. He's the lounge room. He's the kitchen. He's the bathroom. He's the backyard. He's the spa. He's the swimming pool. He's everything. He's the whole house, the whole kit and caboodle that there is nothing else. Yet so often I hear people say, come to Jesus. And I'm like, yes. And I hear people say, trust in Jesus. And I'm like, yes. And then they move on to a whole range of these extra things you need to do or say or expect to experience him more fully. To to know kind of a new level. That, That Jesus, you come to Jesus, but there's so much more. I heard one place say, Jesus is great. But God is going to speak to us today and he's going to take us on a new journey and a new, new path into the wilderness and it will be wonderful. So we want to expect God to, to say new things and take us on new places. And I'm like, are you serious? Paul says in Corinthians, I preach Christ Jesus, a stumbling block to Jews, foolishness to Gentiles, but he is the Lord of all. Do you know how disgusting and disrespectful it is to Jesus to think that there's something better than him? To think 
I mean, and I do it too, to look for something greater, to look for my satisfaction somewhere else. Have I not seen him? It's not possible. The way I started the Christian life is the way I need to continue. What's wrong with me when I want more? We'll have a look at verse 7. Does this mean that we don't grow? Does this mean that Christian faith is kind of just boring and drab and tired and we just kind of come in and that's it? No, look at verse 7. Paul says, Just as you receive Christ Jesus the Lord, so continue in Him, rooted and built up in Him, established in the faith, just as you were taught and overflowing with gratitude. Right, The Christian life, it's not stagnant. It's growing, maturing, deepening. But it's growing and maturing and deepening in Him. In Christ in Jesus. When the picture here is of a tree, a healthy tree, tapped into with its roots into what gives it sustenance and life. Have you ever seen a tree pick up its roots and move? Oh, it's going to go here for a while. If if, you know, I'm going to move around, or someone move it all the time. They're not healthy trees. A healthy tree is solidly planted in the one place, and it grows. Its roots go deeper. It understands its source more, and it grows, and it's strong, and it withstands all sorts of problems. So it is with Jesus. Trust Him, says Paul. There's nothing more exciting, more captivating, that will deepen you more, that you'll experience God more. In Him, the fullness of God dwells bodily. Paul says that we get to grow in the faith. Now, faith normally in the Bible is is a word, is is a verb. Uh, It's a doing word, right? Um, Faith is actually to trust, to rely, to depend. Um, but here Paul puts a word in front of it that makes it into a noun. Um, it's, it's the definite article, if you're kind of interlinguistics, and he calls it the faith. What is the faith? How are we to grow in the faith? Well, it's the doctrines of Jesus. The reality of who Jesus is and what He's done and how He's acted, how, how He's died on the cross and atoned for our sins, how He's loved us, how He's truly part of the, the Trinity. It, it's understanding God more. So here's what the Bible says. If you're looking for satisfaction, the deepest spiritual experience, then you will find it in one place and one place only. It's all about Jesus. It's only about Jesus and it's always about Jesus. It's all about Jesus. It's only about Jesus and it's always about Jesus. And as a church... That's what we want to be. We want to be a group of people, a bunch of people that are captivated by Him. They want to keep seeing how God points to Him throughout all of Scripture and see what what God is saying to us and let Him mold us and change us so we might walk in Him. So we won't be pushed around backwards and forwards by every wind of teaching, but we might be planted. Christianity at its heart is very simple. Trust Jesus. Let him be who he is, the king of the universe, which means the ruler of you. Paul then kind of pulls back, if that wasn't enough, and reminds these Colossian Christians of what Jesus has done. Have a look at verse 13. When you were dead in your sins and the uncircumcision of your sinful nature, God made you alive with Christ. He forgave us all our sins, having cancelled the written code with its regulations that was against us. And that stood opposed to us. He took it away, nailing it to the cross. And having disarmed the powers and authorities, he made a public spectacle of them, triumphing them 
triumphing over them by the cross. It's finished. Jesus has done it all. He's quenched the thirst that you and I desire, but sometimes we don't realize it. He's quenched our greatest need. That the anger and wrath of God that we rightly deserve has been poured out on Him. He's taken the written code, the law, the things that we failed to do. He's nailed it to the cross and He said, I've done it and I've died for it on your behalf. There's nothing else that that needs to be done. Yet I constantly find myself experiencing the pressure to drift, to shift foundation, to look for satisfaction somewhere else. Don't you? Well, Paul gives us three warnings in the next, next part of this passage. And we'll kind of look at them really briefly. Three places we're tempted to find satisfaction. Legalism, asceticism, and mysticism. If you're following the outline, I might try and swap the last two. It depends how we go. <laughs> Firstly, in verse 16, Paul says this. Therefore, do not let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink or with regard to a religious festival or a new moon celebration or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. Ever come across people saying, experience this ritual. Come along to this festival and you'll have a great time. You'll be be part of, of really what's going on. You'll experience satisfaction. That's what religion often is. It's a push to come and do things. a, A list to do, things to tick off. And don't get me wrong, in the Old Testament, God had a list But in fact, that list wasn't in order to gain right relationship with him. It was because God had already saved his people Israel. He said, this is the best way to live. This is the way to show that you love me. This is the to have or to hold from this day forward, for better, for worse, for richer, for poorer, in sickness, and health, love, and to cherish as long as we both shall live, right? It's, it's It's the kind of way that you express right relationship because God had already brought them out of Egypt and he'd saved them. But people take that list and think the way to get right with God is to do, 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 do. I've got to keep these these religious laws, these special festivals, these celebrations. And that's what religion does. Religion sucks. Religion pushes us back to kind of going, oh, I need to do stuff. But as we look to Jesus, we see that they're all done, finished, completed. Remember, he nailed it to the cross, complete. Nothing more to be fulfilled. It's, It's done in me. That's why Paul says they're a shadow. They're things that point us forward to Jesus. Now, don't get me wrong. Religion has its appeal. I can just go to church, say a few things to a certain person. My sins are forgiven and I can do the whole thing again in 45 minutes every week and it's, it's nice. Or I can say this special prayer, this special way of getting back into relationship with God. There's magic words. I don't know if any of you knew the, the prayer of Jabez. kind of a thing that went around probably about 10 years ago. But people are saying, if you pray this prayer, you'll get this all sorts of prosperity and great things will happen. It's a biblical prayer. It's a good prayer. (laughs) How Satan loves to twist scripture to make us believe promises that God never says. But legalism never saves. It just pushes us to get dirtier and dirtier and dirtier because we keep failing at everything. Paul says legalism is dangerous. It can shift you from resting in what has already been done by Jesus. The way to continue in the Christian life isn't to trust Jesus and then be perfect. It's to trust Jesus and keep trusting Him when you fall down and when you fail, knowing that He's paid the price. He's nailed it to the tree. It's done. 
Well, then the next warning in verse uh, 20 to 23, which is the third point, um, asceticism. Let no one enslave you into this kind of idea of, well, listen to Paul, verse 20. Since you died with Christ to the basic principles of this world, why as though you still belong to it? Do you submit to its rules? Do not handle, do not taste, do not touch. These are all destined to perish with use because they're based on human commands and teachings. Such regulations indeed have an appearance of wisdom with their self-imposed worship, their false humility and their harsh treatment of the body, but they lack any value in restraining sensual indulgence. Rules never made anyone more likely to obey them. They never actually change the heart of people. I don't know if you've ever seen a wet paint sign. Have you ever seen a wet paint sign on, on, a, on a chair? I don't, it might just be my personality, but whenever I see it and it says wet paint, don't touch, what do I want to do? I want to touch it. I mean, I want you to be honest with me right now. Who in the room at this very moment, right, think, just think for a second. Okay, in that second you just thought, who in the room wanted to look at the back wall? Can you put your hand up if you wanted to look at the back wall? Right. Two people are thinking you want. Okay, now when I say, I want no one in this room to turn around and look at the back wall right now. No one. Who wants to look? Awesome, hey. These, these appearances that make you kind of look would really only push you to, to fall down. In fact, that's what Paul says about the law <laughs> that only ever brought us back to showing us how we would fail. And people here, they're using these laws to make it look like they're perfect. To kind of have the appearance of wisdom that I'm, I'm going above and beyond the law. I'm going to never get married. Which the Bible never says, we sh- you know, the Bible never says that you, you shouldn't get married. Marriage is a fine thing and a good thing. But these guys are like, no. So I've now got this new experience of God. I experienced the upper echelon because I'm never going to get married. Or I'm, I'm never going to, what's the way? I'm never going to drink Coke. Who knows? People might think it, right? Sure, you could say that. And for that reason, you think you're somehow better. Or I'm never going to... There's a whole heap of things we can add to Christianity. We can take Jesus and then kind of raise the expectations and go, look at me. Really, all it's going to point is that you've missed the point. You've missed the point. Restraining yourselves, cutting back on things that are good gifts from God, doesn't make God any more pleased with you. doesn't make you any more satisfied Satisfaction comes in Jesus, in all he offers us. Well, the third way, which is the second point, is verse 18 and 19, and it's what I'd call mysticism. If you want to have a look at verse 18, it's up on the screen. And I think here is the most dangerous one for us today. Verse 18. Don't let anyone who delights in false humility in the worship of angels, disqualify you for the prize. Such a person goes into great detail about what they've seen. And his unspiritual mind puffs him up with with idle notions. He's lost connection with the head from whom the whole body, supported and held together by its ligaments and sinews, grows as God causes it to grow. We've all been there. The person who's had the vision, the dream, the experience, the thing that you're like, wow, if only God would speak to me like that. The thing that helps you to kind of push away the Bible and go, I'm, I'm wanting something more than what, what God has passed on through Jesus, part, through the apostles and given to us. 
We want to know the supernatural. We want to have access to realms that we don't normally have, have access to, whether that's through angels or demons. We'll give it a shot. Whether it's tarot cards, whether it's Ouija boards, whether it's signs of the zodiac, we want to know what's going to happen. And, and we're not satisfied with what God has told us. It's tempting, isn't it? I once heard of a man, um, the great preacher Spurgeon. He had a man come up to him one day and and this man said, Mr. Spurgeon, Mr. Spurgeon, I had a dream. And in the dream, I saw open this book. And the book was right next to a throne and there were angels around the throne. And I walked down the aisle and I saw this book. And as I got closer, I saw that inside the book were names. There were names written inside the book. And I realized this was the book of life, the ones who we could be sure would be there for eternity, the ones in whom's, in whose named those who are going to live forever are in. And he said, as I got closer, I got up close and, and I saw, and there on the page was your name, Charles Haddon Spurgeon. You know what Spurgeon said to him? Get away from me, Satan. Now you're tempting me to trust in the words of an angel rather than in the work of my Savior on a cross. Do you see that? The temptation is to trust this new message that there's more than what Jesus has done, that, that it wasn't enough that what Jesus has done, that we need this extra message. Th- these temptations come from both outside the church and in the church. From people who imply or suggest, or churches that explicitly teach that full Christian experience is found in more than simply living with Jesus as Lord. More than having Him as the ruler of your life as your saviour, that that if you're dry and if you're spiritually thirsty and and you want to know God better, then it's because you haven't moved on to this next stage. You haven't heard God speak. You haven't had access to what God has told me. And you know what he's told me? (laughs) We're deceived. We always want something else, something more. Even those that saw Jesus die on a cross that heard the testimony like Thomas, weren't convinced. When I put my hand in his his side, then I'll believe. And what happens? Jesus appears. Thomas sees him. Doesn't even tell us. Scripture doesn't even tell us that he actually touched him. But Thomas sees him, and he sees him when he's resurrected. And Thomas falls on his knees and says, My Lord and my God. And what does Jesus say? Blessed are those who believe who have not seen. We always want to know more, but Jesus says, you've seen it all. It's in me. It's here in Scripture. And so the push for us is don't let anyone disqualify you. Jesus plus extra is no Jesus at all. Your faith becomes in something else, some other vision. It might look like Jesus, but the point is, Does it match what Scripture is saying? I'm not saying that God can't speak outside of the Bible. Please don't hear me saying that. God does all throughout Scripture. But I'm saying He will never speak in anything other than what the Bible says. It will never disagree with what God's Word says. And, And if someone says something that God has given them a vision or a sign, what does 1 John tell us to do? Go and test it against the Scriptures, against what we first taught. Just as you received Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue. There's nothing you're missing out on. How could there be? Jesus is everything. In Him, God lives in bodily form and He's in us. We have it all. 
We have it all. The answer to spiritual dryness, the answer to knowing God, to living a life in line with the God who loves us, is knowing Jesus better. Just as you receive Christ Jesus as Lord, so continue. Come with us and, and, and see the Jesus of Scripture, the Jesus of history. See what He's done, how He's acted, how He's enabling us week by week, day by day, as we open His Word, as His, as His Word cuts us like a sword and shows us how we need to change and be more like Him, as the Spirit convicts us of the truth of Scripture, of the truth of Jesus, come. Come and be deepened and experience satisfaction that leads to life forever. But don't be convinced or pushed or slide to the idea that there's more. How could there be? Why don't we pray? Father God, we want to thank you so much that you have sent your son Jesus to nail to the cross what we couldn't do. To treat you the way that we haven't. To love you the way that we couldn't. Lord, we ask that you would so captivate us by Jesus that we would live lives that are in line with trusting him. That you'd show us where people want to pull us aside, where Satan wants to get his dirty fingers in and say, but you haven't got this or you haven't got that. Father, convict us. Let your word dwell in us richly through the work of your spirit so we might see Jesus for who he is. The one who made us, the one who loves us, the one who's died for us, and the one who is our ruler and our king. Father, we pray by your spirit and through your word, help us walk in the way that we came into this faith by trusting in your son, Jesus. We pray this in his name. Amen. Well, um, there might have been some questions. I have no idea. Uh, this is kind of the moment where I go, were there any questions? Uh, the first one will come up on the screen like this. Cool, hey. See, it's very, very clear. I'm not God. Right? I can't speak and it happens. <laughs> but he can. Okay, so question number one. Um, aren't the strict laws in the Old Testament there because our relationship with God required them to be there, to make things right because we didn't have Jesus, not just to live the right way? I need to read it again. Great question. Okay, I get it. Um, so really, I think what the question's saying is... Um, Weren't the, weren't the Old Testament laws there to help us live the right way because Jesus wasn't around? Uh, it's quite interesting. I should have brought my Bible up. But um, uh, is it in my bag? Yeah, can someone grab my Bible from my bag? It's blue and right under that table. Um, in Hebrews, Paul, or the writer of Hebrews, who probably isn't Paul, <laughs> um, it's quite clear that the Old Testament people were saved in the same way we are, through faith in God's promises. It was never through what they did. It was never through the, the sacrifices of, of bulls or the blood of goats. It was always because they trusted. And in fact, Paul talks about that in Romans as well. He kind of points to the fact... Thanks, Michael. 
Uh, he points to the fact that, um, that those things never actually satisfied God, that they were always looking forward to Jesus who would satisfy. And so what those ways were in the Old Testament were ways that showed that we were living in response to the promises of God. Uh, Paul's quite clever. He says, Abraham isn't the father of the circumcised, but the uncircumcised, those who didn't have the law, because he trusted God at his word. He took God's promise and believed. Uh, And so I'd say the, the Old Testament laws were there to show God's people how to be different, how to be separate from the nations around them, to, to identify them as God's people. And they were good and helpful laws. I mean, the Ten Commandments are wonderful. They're a really helpful way to live, to, to love God above all others and to love your neighbor as yourself. That's how Jesus summarizes them. But they never made people right. People were already saved, brought out of Israel, sorry, brought out of, of Egypt. And this was the way to respond to Him, to show they trusted Him. So hopefully that answers the question. Maybe chat to me later if you want to talk through more on that. Um, next question. What about rules such as no sex outside of marriage and don't take drugs? Uh, you can't say that you can't have rules, even if they make us want to break them because some of them are legitimate. Yeah, fair call. Um, I think the point is, by saying I'm never going to have sex, sometimes we go, oh, look, if I say I'm never going to have sex, that's, that's something that's going to make me extra spiritual. That's where I'm saying that, no, 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 it doesn't help at all. But if I'm going to make Jesus the Lord of my life, if I'm going to let him be who the Bible says he is, then I'm going to let him drive my life. I'm going to take him at his word. I'm going to trust him. And so there are a whole heap of ways that, yes, we want to live, that are in right response to him, that actually show that um, he is who the Bible says he is. He is the ruler of, of, of this world. So, yeah, there are, there are um, commands in Scripture. Uh, there are ways that we want to live, like no sex outside of marriage. Um, the Bible is quite clear that that's the best way to live. Um, that's how you worship God. That's how you say, no, I'm not going to make the rules. I'm going to let you work out the best way to live. But it's not by following them that we're saved. Never was, never has been. Should we try and follow them? Well, do we trust Him? Are you putting your life in His hands? Are you trusting Him that His death was sufficient for you? Why wouldn't you trust Him that this is the best way to respond to Him? They never save us but they're indicators of how we actually trust Him. If you're living a life and you're sleeping around, then you're not trusting Jesus. Unless you're married to the person you're sleeping around with, and that's great. You should do it, and regularly. Um, but But if you're not, then do you really trust Him? My hunch is that you think you know better than He does. That He's kind of the insurance policy, Jesus. The bit you add on to make sure you get through the fire when it comes. The act of God at the end. But really, you want to live your own way. Well, I'd say, no, no, no. We need to follow Him, we need to serve Him by putting Him first and by worshipping Him in all we do. I hope that's clear. Um, Any other questions? Aren't we meant to greatly desire spiritual gifts? Absolutely. Absolutely we're supposed to greatly desire spiritual gifts. Um, And I think this is a helpful point. I, I hope I haven't come across as though spiritual gifts are something bad. I want to say, no, no, the Bible's quite clear. Paul is quite clear. Eagerly desire the greater gifts. He gives a long list of, list of gifts. There's other lists of gifts are other places. We should greatly desire them. But what, if you read through the letter of Corinthians, the Corinthian church was so excited by these gifts because they puffed them up. They thought they had some other amazing access to God. And Paul's like, let me tell you the ones to desire. The gifts that you really want are the gifts that are going to build one another up. 
I mean, tongues is often used as, as the thing that, that everyone's like, whoa, you've got this special language that I don't have. Paul says, I'd rather speak um, 10,000 words, sorry, I'd rather speak, um, was it five words in an in intelligible tongue than 10,000? Sorry, I spilt my Coke. It's probably going to eat my iPad. Um, have a look at 1 Corinthians 14. Let's get it right. Or 12, is it? 14. I mean, 15, that's my problem. If anyone knows the verse, you can call it out. Saves the awkward moment of looking for it. It's a bit awkward, isn't it? Anyway, I can't get the exact... Why can't I find this? Um, the whole point is that Paul says, I'd rather speak ten in, uh, like words that are intelligible than words that aren't. That we need to be building up uh, the congregation, building one another up. Does he speak in tongues? Yes. Should we want to speak in tongues? Yes. Is there anything wrong with speaking in tongues today? Well, no, as long as it's interpreted. <laughs> because when it's interpreted, we're actually going to understand, well, do you notice? Paul says that when the unbeliever comes in, and the tongues are interpreted, or people are prophesying or speaking of the truth about Jesus, that he falls to his knees and confesses that Jesus is Lord. So spiritual gifts point to Jesus being the ultimate. They don't say, oh, this is, this is some other ex- extra knowledge or extra access. Um, gifts are to help us get who Jesus is. Um, so, um, yes, we should eagerly desire the spiritual gifts, but they never give you another plane, another level of access They're gifts that are given by God for the building up of of people so we might know Jesus more. And that's the whole point as you read through 1 Corinthians in its entirety. Paul's like, stop running after froth and bubble and come back to Christ. We preach Christ crucified. We preach Him. That's what it's about. Hopefully that answers that question. There might be other questions. Do people want to ask another question on spiritual gifts? Oh, there it is. You call it out. You just write it on the screen. Unbelievable. Verse 19. Thanks, brother. Yeah, it is five. And I was right, 10,000. Praise God. Um, So 14 verse 19. uh, 18. Paul says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I'd rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Right? I kind of, often, I've I've done this test before. Um, I'll put a challenge out there. Anyone, uh, I'll give anyone $5 if you give me 10000 Who wants to do that? So no one wants to do that. Why don't you want to do that? Paul says, I'd rather speak five intelligible words than 10000 in a tongue. He's saying the whole point is not that tongues are bad. It speaks in tongues more than all of you. But that tongues don't build up everyone. They don't edify the church. They don't point to who Jesus is. He says in verse 23, if the whole church comes together, um, if the whole church comes together and everyone speaks in tongues and some uh, who do not understand or some believers come in, will they not say you're out of your mind? I don't get you. But if an unbeliever or someone who does not understand comes in while everybody is prophesying, you'll be convinced by all, because they're prophesying, whatever prophecy is, let's just hold that for a second. What does prophecy do? It convinces people that they are a sinner and will be judged 
by all, and the secrets of his heart will be laid bare. So he'll fall down and worship God, exclaiming, God is really among you. The purpose of gifts is to point us back to God. And God is most clearly seen in his son, Jesus. And that's what Paul keeps pointing to. We're to build one another up. We're to use the gifts God's given us to point to him. Next time, just call it out. It's totally fine. Any other questions? Are gifts like tongues and prophecy considered extra? Do, do people want me to answer that? Like, have I answered that already? In my head, I have. Is there a... No? Okay, next question. Come and chat to me about that later if I haven't. Please expand on chapter 2, verse 16 and 17, particularly how to view the Sabbath now given Jesus is the reality to come. Um, kind of what I said in response to the first question, I did skim over this stuff um, quite quickly. Um, so 16 and 17, um, let's go there. Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, Colossians. Therefore, do not any, let anyone judge you by what you eat or drink with regard to religious festival, a new moon celebration, or a Sabbath day. These are a shadow of the things that were to come. The reality, however, is found in Christ. So, how do we view the Sabbath today? Well, the Sabbath was the time to rest. It was the Saturday where you would not do any work, but to remember that God rested on the seventh day and that we too should let Him um, be God and trust Him in the way we do that. The, the Sabbath, Jesus says a little bit later, um, was made for man. It was made so that we would be able to enjoy rest. But Jesus says that I've come to fulfill that. Jesus is the rest we desire. The rest that we, we need is actually found in Him. It's rest from sin and death and life that lasts forever. Jesus comes as the fulfillment of the Sabbath. So quickly, is the Sabbath a good thing to do? Yeah, it's helpful. It's part of the pattern that God made up the world uh, for us to do. Should, should we, do we need to follow it today? No, we don't. Because Jesus fulfills it. He says, the Sabbath is fulfilled in me. Um, I have come to do that. So, love to chat with you more about that. I think that's quickly um, how I see the, that being fulfilled in Jesus. Next question. Oh, here we go. I've got no idea how many there are. Um, yes. Okay, so are you saying we should speak in tongues only when there's someone to interpret? Yes, publicly. No, privately, because I'm imagining that you understand it or that I'm not exactly sure kind of how that would work um, when it's private. Paul says that he does it. I think in some ways, the things that Scripture are clear on is that when there's a public gathering, it's to be spoken in, langu- in the language that everyone gets so we can build one another up. Tongues, well, no one gets unless there's an interpreter there. And then if there's an interpreter, it just becomes prophecy. It just becomes what I think is actually part of preaching. It's applying the, the truths of Scripture to the people that you're in front of. Um, that's kind of what prophecy always was in the Old Testament. People saying, do you not remember what God had said to you? Stop doing this. Turn back to Him. Stop doing this. Repent or God will send judgment. Now, yes, God did put words in, in the prophet's mouth, but we see that, uh, quick, you want to look at Hebrews 1? Yeah, have a look. Hebrews, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. I always have trouble finding Hebrews. There it is. Uh, Hebrews chapter 1, verse 1. In the past, God spoke to our forefathers through the prophets at many times and in various ways. 
But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his Son, whom he appointed heir of all things, and through whom he made the universe. The Son is the exact radiance of God's, sorry, the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact representation of his being, sustaining all things by his powerful word. After he provided purification for sins, he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven, and so became as much superior to the angels as the name he inherited is superior to theirs. What's that saying? Yes, God spoke all sorts of ways in the past through prophets at various times, through donkeys, you know, through a writing on the wall. But where is, where is his final word? It's in his son. God has spoken, and you find what he has to say in Jesus. He provided purification for sins, the fulfillment of everything that God had said previously. He said, it's here in me. And his words on the cross were, it is finished. And then he sat down at the right hand of the majesty in heaven. Does God speak today? Absolutely. By His Spirit, through His Word, about His Son, whom He sent apostles out to, to, to speak to us. It's here. Everything is tested against this. Um, so, how did I get to there? That's what prophecy is. Uh, what's tongues interpreted? I think tongues interpreted is prophecy. It's saying this is kind of what, what's going on. So, in the public meeting, yet yeah, um, we should only speak in tongues when someone is there to interpret. What about when no one else is hearing? Yeah, I think Absolutely. I, I see nowhere in Scripture that says we shouldn't speak in tongues. Should we eagerly desire the gift of tongues? No. I want to be really clear on that. Paul says, eagerly desire the greater gifts. And one of those is teaching. One of those is prophecy. The gifts that build up the church. So if we go, oh, but I, but I really want that thing that someone else has, that special language, I think we haven't actually got what tongues really is. Because it's not something special. I, I, I have it all. Christ is in me. The fullness of the deity lives in bodily form. There is no more to be had. Next question. Awesome. Well, how about I pray again, and then we're going to sing. <laughs> Father God, thanks so much uh, for our time together, opening up your word, thinking through the things of who you are and what you've done. We ask, Lord, that we would test everything against your word, that we'd never allow ourselves to go beyond what you have said that we would see the amazingness of what we've been offered in Jesus and that we might live a life that is so captivated by Him that all we want to do is know Him more, know Him deeper, share the news of Jesus with everyone around us so on that last day we might be presented exactly as Paul wanted us to be, perfect in Him. We pray this in your Son's name. Amen.